Well, it's almost not fair to make me preach after those songs. Uh, man, alive. I, <clears throat> if that doesn't stir up your heart, something's broken. <laughs> Yet not I, but through Christ in me. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but let that be your plea. Not I, but Christ. God, I'm not going to make it without you. Not me. It's got to be you. And uh, not only will that bring you peace and bring you joy and hope, but it brings glory to our Savior. Uh, he loves it when we recognize how dependent we truly are on him. All right, I better start preaching. I'm going to start crying. So Acts chapter 18, chapter 18 of Acts in verses uh, 22 through 23. And uh, we're looking uh, at Paul's journey back to Antioch and Jerusalem a time of rest and recuperation. So if you stand for the reading of God's word, Acts 18, 22. It says, And when he landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, how much we see that not only do we need you, but Lord, we need each other. That... We're in union with Christ, and that gives us hope, but you've also put us in union with other believers, which also gives hope. God, help us to see how special and how important it is today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to remind you of where we're at. I'm really not trying to be confusing, um, but we're kind of in a series within a series, technically within a series. (laughs) And uh, that gets really, really confusing, and every communicator will tell you, don't do that. Don't, don't do series that are series within series. But I am, because uh, evidently, um, I don't learn very easily or very well. And, uh, but I, I see so much here, and I just hate to roll past it and just see this as a travel log. Uh, although it is somewhat of a travel log, 1,500 miles in two couple verses is pretty amazing. Uh, But we see here some deeper themes of how to have more fruitfulness and more joy in ministry, how we can be uh, producing more fruit for Christ and have greater joy as we do it uh, through several different things. So we're going to take, we've been learning about how Paul took time to reflect, renew, and refresh, and that led to this greater fruitfulness. Not the first time, Acts chapter 14, we see after his first missionary journey, he did the same thing. So this is a pattern in Paul's life, and it's a pretty important one, okay? So we learned, reflect on God's goodness, renew your vision. We see some of this through his Nazarite vow, which are the verses just preceding. Uh, That that Nazarite vow was, in fact, stopping to remember all of God's goodness and give him thanks. Uh, But it also was dedication, and so he is dedicating himself uh, to continue the mission that God had given him. And then as he was departing, he stopped in Ephesus, and he preached, and they said, please keep on preaching. He's like, nope, i got to go back to the home churches. Going to do some reporting, going to do some recuperating, but I'm going to come back, Lord willing. And so this is renewing his vision to keep going. And we need times of rest so that it sparks some, uh, some, some vigor, some fervor in our hearts uh, to keep on going. I was so thankful that uh, the church allowed me this past week to attend a conference in North Carolina. And it was that for me. Uh, we had a time of, it was a lot of training, a lot of sessions, uh, a lot of workshops and things. 
that, boy, it fired up my soul. I couldn't wait to get back to you all and say, oh, God is good, and he's not done, and there's so much more that God has for us. So thank you for allowing me to do that. That means a lot to me. Um, and then thirdly, we about refreshing body and soul. That's kind of where we're focusing right now. We're kind of on that third point, refreshing your body and soul. Now, in that series, okay, uh, looking at the third point, we looked at uh, a couple ways in which we see that this rest is so powerful because ministry is more fruitful and joyful with periods of rest. We talked about even the purpose of the Sabbath preceded the law because, folks, we need rest. We got to shut it down. We got to turn it off sometimes, our minds, our hearts, and just spend time letting our souls get renewed. Not just our bodies, but our souls. We got to renew and refresh our souls. Uh, then also, uh, we need biblical fellowship. That's where we're at right now. We're talking about the importance of biblical fellowship, and we're looking at five things that are, are five elements of biblical fellowship. And then we'll talk some more uh, later on about ministry is more fruitful with encouragement and accountability. Because when he goes back to Jerusalem and Antioch, not only is he getting encouragement from the apostles and fellow believers, but he's also, it's a measure of accountability. Because remember, he goes back and reports all that God has done. And so all of us need that. We need people around us that will encourage us, but we also need them to keep us accountable. You know, that love us enough that when we start to get off track spiritually, we have brothers and sisters around us that will put their arm around us and say, I love you so much. Hey, let's have a talk. What's going on in your heart? And so Paul recognized, and you're saying, wait a minute, are you, are you saying that the apostle Paul needed accountability? I mean, he wrote a bunch of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He needed accountability? Yes. So let me just say this. If Paul needs accountability, I'm pretty sure you do too, because <laughs> uh, none of us are on uh, the level of the apostle Paul. We all need that. And so uh, now, as we look at biblical fellowship, leading us to this fruitfulness and joy in ministry, we looked at unity and community. We already looked at unity, and uh, we are going to look at community and then harmony this morning. And then we're going to look at a later time, ministry and maturity. So, when it comes to unity, we learned a couple things. One is that we are one with Christ, right? That's what union... You know, baptism is meant to picture that. When you go under the water, it's kind of a picture of, of, of a person becoming at one in the water, being immersed into the water. So the Bible says that we're immersed in Christ. We become part of who he is. But we don't do that uh, just by ourselves. As I am put into Christ, and, and Bruce is put into Christ, and, and Dale's put into Christ, and 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 Mark's, but, and, 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 and a whole bunch of ladies too, not, didn't mean to lean those out, you know, a whole bunch of, we're all put into this same body. We are one with Christ, but then we become one with each other. And that's a very important dynamic. We need to recognize, I think that we, in our Western individualized Christian experience, meaning like uh, here in the West, in America, we tend to make Christianity all about me. <laughs> You know, we're, we're like the only child. Uh, oh, you know, other people exist? <laughs> so if you're an only child, I'm so sorry about that joke. Uh, but but the, here's the thing is, is there's so much uh, more to it than just your experience with Christ. It's really our experience with Christ as well. And so there is an individual component to our faith and our worship, but there's definitely and importantly a corporate component. There's a us. There's the we is greater than the me. And so we looked at how because we're all one with Christ, we're one in Christ, and 
the, we get the picture through some imagery the Bible gives us in the New Testament. We're one body, we're one spiritual family, we're citizens of one spiritual kingdom. And so God chooses fellowship, the, the community aspect of our unity, to uh, the, chooses fellowship in the local, visible church gathering to demonstrate the reality of our union in Christ. Christ isn't interested in just far-flung theories. Like, oh, it's this mystical thing where, you know, magically and spiritually we're all part of one. How does that work? I don't know. It's just all just very magical. Uh, God isn't interested in that. When he wants to show us, he's like, you know what it looks like? It looks like a local church that loves each other, cares for each other, and grows together. That's what it looks like. So he gives us the church to say, unity is fleshed out in community. That's the way it works. You know, as the old song goes, you can't have one without the other. And that's true. Unity will always produce community if it's true unity in Jesus Christ. Okay? So we can put it this way. The closer we get to Christ, the closer we become with his body or the local church. The more committed we are to Christ, the more committed we become to the local church. You say, well, I don't think that sounds fair because I like Jesus a lot, but I just don't like other Jesus people all that much. But here's the thing is, does Christ love his church? Does the Bible say that Christ died, gave himself for his church? So here's the thing is, if you love Christ, you're going to love what he loves, and he loves the church. But it's messy. Yeah, he loves us in all our messiness, and aren't you glad I'm glad because I can be a bit of a mess at times. Don't ask my wife. She will tell you. And I don't need all that, all that messiness getting out there. No, the fact is, is people in my accountability group, the people on our Wednesday night, you, uh, you've heard my messiness. And at times, uh, you guys have been so gracious, and sometimes I'm gonna, I think just subtly in your eyes I see, dude, you're messed up. <laughs> at times, I really am. And I can say the same about you. But, you know, I love it because it's a, it's a wonderful community of, 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 of guys that say, hey, we love you even if you're messed up. <laughs> and I hope you love me too. And so we see unity, but then let's talk about that aspect of community, okay? Let's dig in a little bit more about how the world or how the church fleshes out and proves and demonstrates that it's in union with Christ and each other, okay? So community is the natural outflow. Let's throw that up there so you don't forget is the natural outflow of being in union with Christ together. Okay, this is when the church goes beyond all the theories and the structures and the buildings and the organizational things and really becomes the body of Jesus Christ. It's when we, we actually become his heart and his hands. It's when uh, we love, like, like if Jesus were here and would throw his arms around you, the church is here to do that. We become that love of Christ to one another. And not only just our heart, but our hands. We actually pitch in and help. We actually help pick one another up when we fall down. We actually help one another when we suffer tragedy. We actually do works of service. Uh, it's Christ's heart. It's Christ's hands. And we see a couple pictures of this. And I want to turn to a couple other passages. Uh, you're in Acts. Go to chapter 2 with, with me, if you would. Acts chapter 2. And this is a great passage that kind of gives us a glimpse of the early church. And you see the kind of love, the heart and the hands of Christ that they had, okay? Now, I understand that this is sort of a unique situation, okay? This was the, when, when the Holy Spirit shows up, okay? Uh, the day of Pentecost was a, 
a festival in Israel. And during the middle of this festival, God sends the Holy Spirit upon the church. There's a whole lot of people from all kind, all over the region that came in to celebrate this. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit fills his believers. They start preaching the word of God, and people come to Jesus Christ. They're baptized, and they say, okay, now we're part of you guys. We're, we're Jesus followers like you. We're part of the church. But the problem is, is that they needed some additional training. Now, normally, they would be there for just a short period of time, and they would go back to their home. So the, the amount of funds they would have brought with them to help them pay for food and lodging was, was limited. But they wanted to stay there and get as much gospel as they could so they could go back to their hometowns and share the gospel. And so what happened is there began to be a need. People ran out of money. They said, but we still need more gospel training. And so the church began to give and to share what it had with each other so that they could continue that training. So it was a pretty amazing thing. But it's, what it shows us is not just some exceptional circumstance. Oh, well, yeah, the Holy Spirit showed up and a bunch of people got saved. It's showing us the heart of the church that really we should follow this same example. Okay, so you're in Acts chapter 2, verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So there's the preaching. People believe the message by faith, and they were baptized, and they were added to the number of people. Now, verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Okay, the apostles were very important because they originally were the ones who were giving them Jesus' words so that they would know how to follow Jesus, okay? After that, God continued to give Scripture, and so more were added to that. But it says, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, this was certainly talking about communion, celebrating communion, and in prayers, times of gathering together to plead for God's grace. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had a need. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Now this is talking about feeding one another, okay? And in the temple, they would gather for times of worship, both in big settings like the temple where they could all gather together, and also in smaller settings like we might say sort of like small groups. And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Simplicity means singleness of heart, or it means this. They were focused on Jesus. They had, their hearts were full of joy, and they were completely focused on Jesus. Can you imagine a church that was like that? Everyone just has joy in Jesus, and they're focused on Him. That's a powerful church. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. So there's continuing worship going on, thanksgiving, and the Lord added to the church daily, those who are being saved. So through their test, continual testimony, the preaching of the gospel, through their lives, through what people saw in the church, this amazing things of Jews and Gentiles coming together and, and experiencing Jesus together and the power of the Spirit, people came to the gospel. They flooded to the gospel. Now, I submit today, the same thing is really true. I keep in mind that when the gospel first came in in, in Acts, in any place, there was signs and wonders. But then those started to, to, to kind of trail off. They, they became less and less, as the Bible says in Corinthians, that they would cease for themselves. They would just continue to fall in more and more disuse. Well, the, the question is, is why? Look, well, the reason why is they didn't need that anymore. When the first came in, 
The signs and wonders brought the first disciples to Christ. But then after that, what was the thing that told the others the truth of the gospel? Let me put it this way. What confirmed the gospel to those who were watching? First, it was signs and wonders. What happened once there was already believers? Jesus told us, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one toward another. In other words, the reason why they, the signs and wonders trailed off is because the greatest visible testimony to the gospel and gospel power was that there were Jews and Gentiles who loved each other. And that just did not happen in their world. Folks, that's how we reach our community. Continued love in Christ Jesus. And so we see that here. It's, it's, it's amazing what God is doing here. Um, so I want to talk about two basic areas in which our life, now community is just our common life in Christ, or you might say sharing life together. Uh, that's the, where the rubber meets the road for Christians loving each other. And I think we see two basic areas, and that is worship and walk, okay? So how do we experience community as a church? through our worship, through our walk. And both of those are very important. Now, we're doing one of them this morning, okay? We're meeting for worship. And what you see there in Acts is they met for worship and prayer and, and teaching and all those things were happening. And it's a very vital part of our corporate experience of Jesus Christ. Paul David Tripp said it this way, corporate worship is a regular gracious reminder that it's not about you. You've been born into a life that is a celebration of another. That's why these times are so important. That's when we put away, it's like, oh man, I could be playing golf today. I could be fishing today. I could be doing a lot of other things. Why in the world am I going to get up, go to church, and listen to a guy talk for like 45 minutes? If I'm lucky, it's 45 minutes. Sometimes it's like an hour. Why would I do that? Why would I come and sing these songs? I mean, the guy next to me, dude, he couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. It's like, come on, man, just land on a note and stick with it. You're all over the place here. You know, you're trying to find that note. Why do we do that? Because it's not about us. It's about somebody else, and that's Jesus. And all of us recognize that. And we say, hey, hey, it's not about us. It's not about me. It's about Jesus, isn't it? Yeah, it's about Jesus. And, 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 and so this is a wonderful regular reminder, as he says, Personal worship is important. It should be part of our daily communion with Christ. I'm not saying don't spend time in personal worship. I'm going to tell you right now, your personal worship time will really make our corporate worship even better. When your heart has been prepared all week long, you spent time in the Word of God, you spent time in prayer, you spent time communing with the Holy Spirit, you spent time meditating on Christ, your heart all week long is being prepared to walk in on Sunday and says, I'm ready to sing with Jesus with my people because he's awesome. You know how I know? All week long I've been thinking on him and he is amazing. And let me just tell you this. You are shortchanging not only yourself but your church if you don't spend time meditating on Christ through the week. You show up and you're sort of half-hearted. And, and see, honestly, that's why I think some people are bored in church. Because the, the truth is, is no matter, you know, we can increasingly give you more and more stunning, entertaining things in church, but eventually you'll still get bored. We'll capture people's attention for a moment, you know, because there's nothing that captures your heart and imagination like Jesus. I can't do that for you. You know, preach better messages. I'm like, I preach Jesus. 
Now listen, I know there's better preachers out there, but listen, if I'm preaching Jesus, there ought to be some part of you that's going, amen, I'm a Jesus people too. I love hearing about Jesus. But if you're not spending time drawing near him, you're going to show up on Sunday and it's not going to mean much because it's not meant much to you all week long. So you're not only robbing yourself, but you're really robbing us too. Because listen, when you come and your heart's enthusiastic and your heart is filled with the word of God, not only do you sing enthusiastically and worship enthusiastically, but you're able, as Romans 15 says, able to admonish one another. You've got your heart filled with Jesus and the word, and you come in and you start testifying of Jesus. Man, this, this week, or uh, in our Sunday school class this week, I got to hear some brothers in Christ talk about God giving them peace in difficult circumstances. And I'm like, I needed that. I needed to hear their testifying. It's like they're saying, hey, Jeremy, Jesus is good, isn't he? And this is how he's good. I've seen him work this week. And I'm able to say, praise God. You know, there's some weeks you go through and you say, God, are you working at all? And sometimes it's, it's the person next to you to say, hey, man, God is working. It says, that's right. He's working. He's working in my brother. He's working in my sister. He's working in me too. Don't give up. And that's why corporate worship is the, is the natural outflow of personal worship. So worship personally, but we need this corporate. And our spiritual, let me say this too. In both the Old and New Testaments, God gave commands for corporate worship. It's not an addendum. It's not an afterthought. And it's certainly not an option. He wants us to gather together in his name. And when we do, he does things in us corporately that he doesn't do in us alone. Now you're saying, well, wait a minute. Are you saying that there's some things that God does in us together that he does not do individually? Yes. Yes. There are, matter of fact, where two or three are gathered in his name, it says, there I am in the midst of them. There's a sense in which as the church, got, and by the way, this is, that is not just talking about two or three people. In context, he's saying, when the church, no, ever, no matter how small, if it's even two or three believers in a, in a church gather together and in his name say, you said do this and we're going to be obedient. He says, I am there with them, helping them every step of the way. That's amazing. So there's something that happens corporately that you do not get individually alone. And our spiritual health and growth is tied to this corporate worship element. The early church in Acts grew because they were worshiping together. We praise together. We sing. We, we give thanks. We rejoice. We celebrate. I mean, think, even the, the ordinances we celebrate have a corporate element to it. Okay, so you help me out. What are the two ordinances that we celebrate? Some people call them sacraments. But what are the, somebody give me one. Baptism. Okay, what's the second one? Communion. I mean, literally, communion. Does that sound anything like community? Yeah. But see, the way we look at it is like baptism, like, oh, I got baptized. But the whole picture of baptism is you be putting in the body of Jesus Christ. The whole thing is corporate. That's why we do it up here and celebrate it. That's why we just don't say, oh, just go down a river and dunk yourself. You'll be good. <laughs> it's like, well, I got saved. Well, let me find some water and let me go ahead and just get her done. No. Why do we celebrate it as a church? Now, it can be outside. It can be in a stock tank. It can be in a river. It can be in a church baptism. The, the place doesn't matter. But why is there a corporate component? Because it literally is picturing all of us being brought into Jesus Christ together. Now, let's think about communion. It's like, oh, I just get such a joy when I, when I eat the bread and when I drink the cup, and it does so much for me. But you understand, 
that the whole picture is all of us, it's picturing a meal with Christ. It's picturing his body and his, his body. And, and we miss it because we do it so sanitary. <laughs> now, some of you are saying, I'm glad we do it sanitary. Now, there are some churches that actually have a common cup, and people all drink out of the same cup. I'm seeing in your faces, some people are already going, oh, uh-uh. And I'm not going after sister so-and-so either. <laughs> you know, uh, Here's the thing is, but in, and in some churches, they actually take a piece of common bread and they break it up. And it's torn off, and people will actually tear off pieces. Now you're saying that's not very sanitary, especially in you know our day and age now. I understand that, but I don't want you to miss the picture that we're all feasting on Christ. We're sharing in the body of Jesus Christ. We're sharing in the blood of Jesus Christ. His redemptive work, his giving his body and blood was for us, not just for you. And even our celebrations, like baptism, communion, celebrate these aspects. But not only that, we pray together. Now, here again, prayer, sometimes we make that so personal. You know, I'm going to pray for me and mine, and I'm going to pray for God to help me and meet my needs. But the thing is, they gathered for prayer. They not only prayed for each other, they prayed with each other. And I'm telling you, something special happens when on our prayer times on Wednesday uh, when we pray for one another and we pray together and I hear the prayers of my brothers and I join in. I mean, literally, as Cliff's uh, praying, I find myself agreeing in prayer with him and saying, yes, Lord, yes. Yes, Lord, I agree with my brother. God, please answer. There's something beautiful and together about it. So, uh, worship. That's part of our corporateness. And not only that, but we progress together. The Bible talks about in Philippians 1.5, that Paul says, I thank God for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is writing them and says, I'm not with you right now. I'm writing you a letter because I'm, I'm not able to be with you right now. But listen, I stop and I thank God for the fellowship we have in the gospel. So, you know, there's a corporate aspect to our spiritual growth. Our spiritual health just as isn't just about what how i'm doing spiritually but how we're doing spiritually and as we minister through spiritual gifts and speaking and admonish speaking truth and love to one another and admonishing one another literally warning and encouraging sometimes at the same time while we do that there's a com there's a us component to that but let's think now about the walk What I mean by walk is that daily, everyday struggle of life, the ups and the downs. I'll say it this way. We need people who will love us and stick with us on our best days and on our worst days. You know, the greatest gift I think this church has given me is permission to be a growing Christian. That is a, a growing Christian, a progressing Christian, not a perfect one. That is one of the greatest gifts you've given me. There's been very few times that I've been, or people have said, well, you let me down and now I'm done with you, preacher. I'm going to a different church where there's a better preacher. I'm like, well, I'm sorry, but Paul told Timothy, let the whole church see your progress and let it be evident to them. 
Oh, oh, by the way, the ones you think, the preachers you think are perfect, it's just you haven't seen the faults yet. And so, by the way, preachers are very good at hiding it. There, there became a point in my ministry where I'm like, God, I'm tired of hiding it. I'm tired of trying to manage my image to make sure that people can respect me. Here's the thing is, I'm a Christian. You know, preachers are just Christians like you. We're just growing believers who God has called to preach the word of God. We're not a separate, different, upper echelon, superior type of Christian. Not at all. Matter of fact, I imagine that there are people in our church that are more spiritual than I am. You say, well, how can that be? You, you've got to be at the top. No, God has called me to preach and teach the word of God. Now, should I, Paul also told Timothy, to let your progress be evident to all, but it says that you should be an example of believers in word and conduct and faith and all these things. Yes, I want to be an example. But one of the greatest gifts you've given me is just allow me to be a progressing Christian, to not hold me to an imperfect standard. Now, are there standards in the word of God for preachers? Yes, there, there's in the book of Titus and Timothy, there are in fact qualifications to be a pastor. But you realize that within that, it's not saying that you have to be perfect. And so you've given me permission to do that. You've loved me through every bonehead mistake I've made. <laughs> and I've made some. And some of you know what they are. But knowing that you will love me no matter what, give me grace when I mess up, and lovingly correct and help me when I do wrong is in fact the greatest gift that this church has ever given me and my family. I don't mean ignoring sin. No, because love always cares about spiritual health, right? You've cared about me. You've not said, well, you know, we won't address that. No, some of you have come to me and talked to me about things, and I'm glad that you have. But you've done it in love, you've done it for my spiritual health, and you've allowed me to not be perfect and just be progressing. And I'm thankful for that. You know, that's why I'm really perplexed when people say they leave the church because someone hurt their feelings. <laughs> someone hurt me, and I left the church. So I'm going to go to another church where I'm sure they're going to be perfect. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, good luck with that. <laughs> that's not how it works. Listen, the, when you get close to sinners, you're going to experience their sinfulness and their brokenness. There's no way. As a matter of fact, that's part of God's plan for making us more like Jesus is actually, you know, we're kind of like sandpaper that kind of rubs each other and, and helps knock off the rough edges. I mean, that's just part of being in a local church. And yeah, we do mess up sometimes. And like I said, I've said some bonehead things and done some bonehead things, and I'm sorry for it. But here, here's something. We need to learn to expect that people are going to make mistakes. And people are going to sometimes rub us the wrong way. And they're going to hurt our feelings. And they're going to say things that need to be addressed. But we need to learn to reconcile quickly, to be humble, and to give each other room to repent and be reconciled. And see, that's the beauty of the gospel. Through Christ, we experience reconciliation with God and with each other. And the gospel gives me constant hope that the worst relationship fallouts could be the best gospel comebacks. <laughs> I mean, really. I've seen where two people, I mean, look at um, Uadia and Syntyche. Or I heard this week, this is so great. Uh, 
there was two women who couldn't get along in the church, and Paul is pleading with them to reconcile. And their names were Euodia and Syntyche, or someone said, odious and so touchy. <laughs> That's great. Odious and so touchy, just could not get along. And, and, and you read Philemon and realize that there was conflict there, but God is calling for reconciliation. You read about Paul and Barnabas and John Mark. They went sep- their separate ways because they couldn't agree on John Mark, what to do with John Mark. And yet we see time and time again, God bring people back in gospel reconciliation. That's what we need. That's what the world needs to see in Christians. We need people who will share our triumphs and tragedies that will celebrate with us, that will weep with us, that will share the deepest pain and the most thrilling spiritual victories. Listen, that's why we need testimonies. Now, uh, this church has is, is been historically, and, and I'm going to blame myself as being not leading well in this area, but we've not typically been very good at giving public testimonies. Now, one thing is, I will say this, uh, I think this church has wonderful servant humble hearts. And I think part of that is humility. There's like, well, I don't want to get up there and make a big deal about me. I just want to make a big deal about Jesus. But let me tell you, I think we need more public testimonies. Now, we're going to keep all the focus on what Jesus is doing, but I'm telling you what, something happens when someone stands up and says, let me show you, let me tell you about the grace of God in my life. Man, I messed up, but God has restored me. And when we get up and speak of those things, yes, it's scary to speak in front of people. Yes, it's scary to tell people all your business. (laughs) But as we do, and people see the grace of God at work in you, you know what they do? They get hope. They get hope. And we're giving all the glory to God. Can I say it this way? We need more people to give public testimonies, to be willing to come up on a Sunday morning. And if you have something, hey, God did something great in my life, can I share that? We will put you in a service where you can do that. We'll just give you a minute, uh, uh, some time in a service to publicly testify. Now, some of you do it in smaller settings, like your Sunday school classes. Keep on doing that. But listen, we need those public testimonies of God's grace. We need to share the triumphs and the tragedies. We were made to laugh and to cry together. And our gatherings should be dripping with genuine spirit-filled emotion. You see, what we need is more than just Facebook page likes, more than just followers on Instagram, and more than just TikTok views. What we need is someone who will walk with us in every good and every hard time. We also need people who will care about our spiritual health and refuse to ignore when we're self-destructing. I had a opportunity this week to hear a testimony. It broke my heart. It was a pastor who suffered a terrible tragedy when his wife fell off an 80-foot cliff, and she was not killed. And she fell. It was a waterfall. It was Hawaii. It was a pastor, and uh, she fell off, and he went and jumped from the cliff into the water to save her and held her, literally held her head together. She had severe head trauma until they were able to bring in a helicopter and actually rescue them. She lived. And, you know, everybody's like, praise the Lord. And he struggled for a long time. But after about five months, he says, hey, I'm ready to get back to the church and and begin pastoring again. And uh, shortly after he did, his wife laid down to take a nap and died in her sleep. And after that happened, he went on a a thousand-day journey and I won't go into all the story about why a thousand days, but it was something his wife had said. He went on a thousand day journey to see, is there any purpose in living? And after a thousand days, he actually you know, did a video log of his 
of what happened. And, uh, and uh, it had a website devoted to it, his thousand-day experience. And at the end of it, he said, after a thousand days, I realized there's no purpose in living, and he took his life. There are people that are hurting. Pastors, people you think that are okay are hurting. Now, I praise the Lord, in his life, he did have people who reached out to him. And unfortunately, he chose not to reach out and hold on to that help. But what I'm saying is this, if you do, we are here for you and we care. The things you think you, I can't tell people about my struggle. This is exactly where you need to share your struggle. You see, this is the place Jesus gave you that if he were here on earth and held out his arms and brought you and hugged you, that is what the church is for us. And you will literally have brothers and sisters wrap their arms around you and hug you and be the heart and hands of Jesus and say, what do we have to do to help you through? Now listen, it would be a lot easier if Christians were perfect and didn't have troubles, wouldn't it? Say, man, church would be so much better if there wasn't so many messed up people. Yeah, it's kind of like saying, oh, parenting would be so easy if I didn't have kids. Marriage would be so easy if I didn't have that wife or husband of mine. Well, of course, you know, my business would run smoothly if I didn't have customers and if I didn't have employees. You also wouldn't have a business. And without people, messed up people, we don't have a church either. <laughs> because that's what we are. And folks, that's what I'm saying. Expect it. Look for it. Reach out for it. You reach out. I, listen, it would be great if the, the guy on our right or left were always the best the best Christian, and so they reached out to us. But listen, they might have the same struggles you have, and so sometimes you have to be the first one to reach out. It'd be great if the other guy always reached out instead of us. But the fact is, is we are the other guy too, right? And so we, we've got to do that. I need to stop. Let me just uh, share this. We just need to be people that will be there for each other day in and day out. Christian community is simply sharing a common life in Christ. It moves us beyond the self-interested isolation, the private lives, and beyond the superficial social contacts that pass for Christian fellowship. The biblical idea of community challenges us, us instead to commit ourselves of life together as God's people. And I'm going to have to stop right there. And uh, next uh, week, we'll look a little deeper at Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to see how this kind of looks, but I, I'm going to skip this for a second. We're going to talk about harmony. But I just want to end with this, okay? First of all, be honest about where you're at, okay? If you're not experiencing community, you need to ask yourself some hard questions. Why aren't I experiencing it, okay? Here's a couple things that may be possibilities. Number one is you just might not be a Christian because in a Christian's heart, there's a natural longing to be with God's people. If you don't have any of that, there might be a real problem, you might not even be one of God's people. You may not have the Holy Spirit inside that's actually longing for these things. But number two, it might be that it's a, it might be a maturity issue. You just didn't see the importance of it. Maybe, I'll even say this, there have been times when I've avoided community in the local church because my heart wasn't in a very good place. And I knew once I got around you, I was going to have to look at that, and I was going to have to deal with it. 
So maybe that's it. Maybe it's like, hey, listen, the truth is I'm, I'm kind of avoiding getting too close to other Christians because I don't want them to see some things in my heart. You really, really do need to, more than you know, other believers. Because other believers, again, are heart and hands of Christ to help rescue you from that. It might be immaturity. You might just not know what the Bible says or how important it is. Maybe you just need to grow in your appreciation of what it means. By the way, if you're, if you're a dude, come Wednesday nights, we're going to be talking about that starting March 9th. But number three, you might be self-centered. And that's hard for me to say. I want to be pastoral here. But I also want to be honest. Can we do that? Can we be honest here? I hope so. Maybe you just made your relationship about Christ all about you. Well, you know what? Ask God to forgive you. Say, God, give me a heart for the church. To, for me to be that person for someone else to be the heart and hands of Jesus. You might be afraid. It's a little scary. When you start opening up and you start sharing your heart and saying, hey, I got some struggles in this area. Man, I really need some people to give me biblical counsel, prayer, and check up on me. Do you know in our leader meetings, we also do that. And it's uncomfortable to say, here's what I'm struggling with. Can you ask me about how I'm doing? When I do that, I both love it and hate it at the same time. <laughs> Because you know what? They do. They do ask me. So how's it going, Pastor? Some months it's like not so good. And other months, man, thank you for praying. God is working. God is good. But either way, they love me. That never changes. But they love me enough to make sure I know how I'm doing. Okay, so be honest where you're at. All right, this is going to be a little bit more in your face, and I apologize in advance. Stop making lame excuses. I'm, I, don't know, I don't know how, how else to say it. Stop saying, I'm too busy. Stop saying, well, I just can't. Stop saying, I don't need it. You do. Paul needed it. You do. I promise you. Stop saying, and, and that I'm too busy. Well, then if you're too busy to connect with people in the church, then you're just too busy. But it's also like saying this. It, it, if the church is the lifeblood, the heart and hands of Christ, it, it is, we're designed to need it. That's like saying, I don't need to eat. I ain't eat for 40 years, and I'm not going to start now. I don't need to drink water. I don't need to hydrate. Yeah, uh, how's that going to work out for you? I don't need to sleep. I've tried that before. You know what happens? Hallucinations. You start seeing things that are, oh, I just need some sleep, man. <laughs> I just need to go to bed. <laughs> I, I've literally been so tired, I was seeing things. And people, no one said, well, no, you need sleep. Oh, you need water. You need food. Yes, of course you do. You need the church. You need it. So stop making excuses because honestly, you know what an excuse is? It's just a lie stuffed in the skin of a reason. <laughs> we just need to get serious about it. You know, sometimes even uh, we're like, kind of like guys are with doctors. I don't need no stinking doctor. If duct tape and bailing wire won't fix it, then I don't know what will. Ain't medicine going to help me. You know, I, I used to be like that. I'm not going to no stinking doctor. And I started having some symptoms that I thought, you know, this is kind of weird. This might be kind of concerning. You know, but I'm fine. I, I won't. And then finally, I got so sick, I had to go into an emergency room. And I found out that had I waited much longer, I could, it would have killed me. Some of you remember that. I got a different viewpoint about I don't need no stinking doctors. I'm like, 
Now I say, I don't need no stinking doctors except for sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I need a stinking doctor. Oh, by the way, if you're a doctor, eh, I'm sorry, you're not stinking. You're awesome. I love doctors and nurses. Got the chance to meet a lot of them at different times in my life. So what I'm saying is this. Don't be the person that says, I don't need it, because you do. Well, enough said. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for grace and mercy. Thank you that even when we're, we're bonehead and, and don't take seriously what you say is super important, God, you bring us back. God, thank you for, for even, even uh, conviction. And the Holy Spirit says, Jeremy, you're not taking it seriously. Come on. You're not being honest. Be honest. You're avoiding people. You're avoiding talking about what's really going on. Be real. Thank you for the, the conviction of the Spirit that, that pushes me in the right direction. But God, I pray that you'd help us to, 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 to be honest about why we're not connecting and then stop making lame excuses and just reach out. And help us to be people who are looking to reach out and looking for the hurting and looking at where we can help. Look how we can help uh, produce spiritual health. I, I know it's the Holy Spirit that produces the uh, word. It's you that works in us. But God, you use brothers and sisters in Christ to admonish and warn and encourage and all these good things. So you use the body to help do these things. So thank you. And God, we pray that we would just, as a church, get closer and closer. And so we would get stronger and more healthy along the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for sticking with me. That was a little long. I apologize. But if it makes you feel any better, I actually left off one whole point. <laughs> so you're like, it does not make me feel better. <laughs> uh, so but I do appreciate you being here. Just keep in mind, next Sunday, uh, time change, and then the 20th Global Celebration. Be praying about how you can, what God would have you to give for the, the Ukrainian um, uh, offering that we're going to take. And again, we're going to put tools in the hands of pastors to help people that are there suffering. And uh, they know what they need, and so we're going to give it to them. And so I forgot one little thing, and I want to make sure and do that. And that's a, a lovely thank you card from Caleb and Hannah and Portland Ogle. Uh, Portland didn't write it, though. I didn't want you to get the wrong idea. Come on, guys. You're not laughing at anything. Okay. Yeah, yeah, come on. Okay. So anyway, it says, thank you to all those who made us delicious meals, sent cards, and texts during the welcoming of our sweet Portland. We are blessed and thankful to have you as a church family. And we say we're blessed to have you as a church family. So, all right, we're dismissed. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.